Welcome to Pablo Head Investigates. In today's episode, I'm talking to the great Larry Goldings again. He was one of the first guests on this podcast, and I was very happy when he contacted me, telling me um, that we should do a podcast where we talk about our classical influences. Of course, it was a no-brainer to say yes and do a part two with Larry Goldings. And uh, we had a beautiful conversation where we played a lot of piano for each other, talking about our classical influences and how we incorporate those influences into our playing, into our music. And we talk about people like Ravel, Gabriel Fauré, Chopin, John Williams. It was so much fun. And you can imagine this was exactly what I was dreaming of when I was a little teenager coming up in music, uh, that I could talk to my heroes about their process and maybe even have them show me what they're doing. So this was a dream come true, and I'm glad we can share it now. If you like this podcast series, please subscribe to this channel. And if you would like to support the podcast more, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash pabloheld. It really helps. Another cool thing is this little notebook that I've put out. You'll see I have an oil stain here already. I'm really using it. This is investigation notes, a notebook that I put out where I write down all my uh, things that I don't want to forget, things that inspire me. And you can get this on my Bandcamp page. All right. I wish you a lot of fun with this episode. I hope you find many insights and useful things in it. Enjoy. Well, um, where did we, you know, where did we leave off? <laughs> it's, hmm. it's a big cup. For a big. Big guy. For a big guy. This is, uh, I made cold brew last night All and. Right. You know, I warmed it up. I mm. warmed up my cold brew, and it's delicious. <laughs> cool. So, am I interviewing you? Or are you interviewing me? What? It's just, just what are we doing? I think we're we're hanging out. We're hanging out. Yeah. I'd like to know from you. Um, did you hear? What's the first music that you heard that was um, classically oriented? That uh, sparked something well i can't really say because i grew up listening to my father play the piano classical music and and jazz and yeah. my mother also and but the thing is and i think this connects us um i really uh, i really feel at home with mom po and i think that this is because they they played it they liked the music so they played the records but they also oh. played like the the pieces on on piano did they play Mom Mom Poe's um, performances? Oh boy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I uh, didn't know that you knew about him way before I did. Maybe, maybe not because because oh, you're younger. But I, I didn't, I didn't know about him until Bill Stewart told me that Carla Blay liked him. Oh wow! Okay, that was on the road somewhere, you know. So I was well into, you know. Yeah. So it was late, but it was a it was a turning point, even though it was late. Yeah, what how did it feel for you? There was just something about, you know, 
his economy of notes, you know, the vaguely French Frenchiness of it that that I already was attuned to because of whatever Satie and Ravel and everybody else. Yeah, and um, uh, the way that he could create dissonances that were seemingly new to me somehow, even though they were familiar. He just found a different way. Also, it was very Spanish, too. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. familiar with Spanish, just sort of that broodingness. It's hard to describe, earthiness of it. Um, So I loved that it was some sort of weird fusion of French and Spanish with this economical thing that, A, was not hard to play. You know, like Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of slowly go through one of the books that I found. Yeah. And um, just the di- uh, the dissonances were so beautiful and somehow put together in a way that I can't really um, I can't really name another composer that does does it the same way. Yeah, you know. And um, interestingly, I think a side note about Carla Bley. Apparently, she loves Mampu, but she doesn't like the way Mampu plays Mampu. Did you? Oh. Did I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know the color Blay Monpo uh, oh, connection at all. So that you did, yeah. He said that. I think he said that Carla loves Monpu, but Monpu playing Monpu is just way too um, sentimental. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- I feel like whenever he plays it, there's no other way to play it. I mean, I have yeah, some some you know. I think uh, Michelangeli played some of it and uh, Rubinstein as well. And Rubinstein, I, I love the yeah. way you say that. Rubinstein, yeah. Very, very Deutsch. Uh, yeah. And Volodos, you know, Arkady Volodos, great I've Russian. Seen, I, I haven't really, is it a woman? No, he's he's a man for sure, oh, I think. When did he, and, when did he switch? Uh, he didn't switch. Oh, he's always a yeah. man. Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> oh, he made a beautiful album. Uh, uh, I think Volodos plays Monpo. And, wow. Um, he has a he has a big sound and also uh-huh. did some arrangement of uh, of Mompo's uh, pieces that are interesting but funny because they are way more virtuosic, you know, than oh, really? as you you know as you describe Mompo's some of the, some of it is very intricate but most of it is very yeah economic like you said like two or three voices and what always inspired me was having two voices or three or four but it sounds like an orchestra the way yeah. it's put together. And that's, that's the shit. That's why I, that's the same with monk, you know, yeah. the same with Carla Blay, actually, yeah. in a way she, I got to really get inside some of her music for a year when I was with her, mm-hmm. you know, the tour where I was playing organ and she yeah. was playing piano and then, and to see, and I was reading, I mean, uh, everything was written out. So I really got to see how sort of architectural she was and why I was reading. You know, it's like because Uh she's orchestrating me within the band, you know, it's just like kind of mind blowing. It's like I'm another voice that has the ability to play multiple voices. But it was wild. But um, 
similarly, like if you, if you look at her early, you know, stuff, the the stuff that Paul Blay always yeah. played, you know, it's a perfect example, yeah. you know. Um, Vashka is something that Monpol could have written. Yeah, totally. Um, but again, that was uh, okay. So that's so you heard that early on. Um, what? Uh, yeah, and other guys like Ravel and Debussy and uh, my yeah. father like to play Scarlatti and Bach and all the all the greats. So that's wow. that was ringing in my head uh, from from the beginning. But also James Taylor and uh, uh, Keith Jarrett and you know Herbie Miles, uh, Shirley Horn. Pat Metheny, uh, Quincy Jones. I'm thinking of all the cassettes that we had in the in the car. Schofield with you, you know. Uh, Hand drive. Uh, that's that's an important record for me, you know. Yeah. And we we used to listen to that in the car. And uh, so yeah. I got, I got introduced to a lot of things through my parents, uh, subconsciously, you know, by just being around. But then right. also I remember specific moments where my father or my mother would show me something. Like my father tried to hit me to, because as a kid I loved In a Silent Way. But he tried to hit me to Bitches Brew a couple of times and was like, check this out. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Somehow I, I could take In a Silent Way, but I couldn't Bitches Brew somehow. Yeah, and they were pissed. They were like, oh, no. <laughs> get it together. He's not appreciating Bitches Brew. <laughs> and he's nine. <laughs> yeah we'll have to send him to therapy okay <laughs> Jesus I wish I had that childhood <laughs> yeah and then uh, some, of, some of the things I had to find out for myself you know uh, like the my, my form of re rebelism in, in you know uh, as a teenager was like no I, I need to find out myself what I like and I would right. go into other musics and but then eventually found my way back around and yeah, yeah. I think um, and I too had a cassette education just because my father was an appreciator of classical music and was always listening to things in the car and the thing that always comes to mind is was like wait a minute that's blues wow that's yeah. Brahms Brahms Symphony number no. four And then he does, I remember reading an analysis of this, and at one point he goes, he takes the mm. but part of his development, he just, it's the same melody, but he just keeps going down. Ah. So, he... so the right. melody is really that. It's, the melody is really just a downward thing that he keeps spiraling. Right. And man, I mean... So, but yeah, Brahms is yeah. heavy. 
Brahms is heavy, them just certain, certain. Just he was just that much more contemporary than Beethoven somehow. Mm-hmm. Just, just like some of the dissonances and structurally, and uh, just the, the yeah, those melodies and yeah. the chamber music. So I love. I heard a lot of Brahms, and. I think it was from classical music that I realized, oh, here's a, just some other early things that I heard. The Bach Brandenburg Concertos, but played on Moog. Wow, by, by whom? Wendy Carlos, Walter Carlos. Oh, That's a person. Right. Have a yeah. Um, like Horowitz. Um, <laughs> no. So, yeah. So, uh, I heard... Now, here's a testament to, well, both to Wendy, Walter, uh, Wendy Carlos, but really to Bach. I mean, that that everything is so perfectly, you know, I mean, all she did is, not all she did, it was a huge feat to do that with monophonic. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Forever. And all the, uh, did you, have you heard that recording? I have, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's amazing how she was able to bring those qualities out of, you know, like, the synth oboe or the synth, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like amazingly expressive, but the music is, is all there. I mean, I was just, when, when I did finally get the original, you know, the, you know, a real version of the Brandenburg series, I liked it just as much. I, you know, I, I was yeah. still loved it. It was just, uh, um, it says, says something about, about the quality of the, uh, of the content of the music, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of focus sometimes on sound and, and how you play things, and that's obviously very important. But yeah. if the content isn't as deep as, I mean, it's incredible. If you if you play something like that deep on a, on a shitty instrument, like even more yeah. shitty. Of the Ravel String Quartet on, right. what's that instrument called? Owned Martineau. Yeah, yeah that, crazy. that also you would have to have been an overdub situation, right? I like, think it's an ensemble, actually. Oh, it's an ensemble with four of them? Yeah. I didn't know there were four in the world. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, that's a perfect example. It's like, right. yeah, everything's there. And yeah. in, a, in a certain way, you hear some voices even more clearly, even more clearly than you yeah. maybe you would. And you're just like, wow, Ravel is a motherfucker, you know? What do you think about Tomita? I didn't know anything about Tomita until maybe 10 years ago. Um, and I heard that Tomita... You say Tomita? <laughs> Let's pull the whole thing off. Yep. I didn't know. I don't know what I was going to say about Tomita. Um, I, I, did, I do know that he's, he did a lot of classical yeah. drinks, right? Yeah, yeah. I got to check it out. It's good. Man, his, his, there's some reworks of uh, Debussy's uh, music, which is incredible and actually mm. make, made me appreciate certain, like when you hear a, a piece in a different uh, instrumentation than you're used to, or even a different artist, it brings mm-hmm. out certain different uh, aspects of the music that some, sometimes get lost with a recording or with an artist who rushes over a section that you might appreciate in a different tempo or something. That's true. Yeah, I when I remember when the first time somebody asked me, "Oh, you like that piece? We should performance." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know, whatever." 
you know, I didn't understand how one performance could really be, you know, I just figured anybody who could play that music was amazing, yeah. you know? And then later you're like, wait a minute, you hear a, cause I grew up, the other thing that I just happened to have was maybe, I don't know, maybe it belonged to my father. It was Rachmaninoff, was Ashkenazi playing the Rachmaninoff piano concertos. Yeah. I, I have very vivid memories of, of listening to that stuff. Oh yeah. What is it? Just, it's like, I don't even know if that's the key, but it's just like orchestrationally. I, I also loved that, that music, yeah. the way he, the French horns to define the movement mm -hmm. of the harmony and Ashkenazi, who was conducting from the piano, yeah. I'm saying. Um, He's incredible. Yeah. How do you do that? That's how Hans Groiner would do it. <laughs> Groiner conducting from the piano. <laughs> um, that stuck with me a lot. Um, uh, uh, okay, and then, um, but also the thing was, I was into pop music, and things that were on the radio when I was a kid was like Billy Joel, right. and Billy Joel really stuck out because it was like, wait a minute, I, I heard some, with certain of the songs, I heard some connection between the, the way that was moving and classical music, mm -hmm. you know? Of course, I read an interview, and he's talking about how he you know he started with classical music and um but i also remember feeling i also remember just being tuned into how the bass like there's something about bass movement it, you know it's like there's something about the the way you understand movement of the bass mm. that really can affect the harmony you know yeah and uh that's what i was hearing in classical music a lot yeah and I think I think I was always attuned to. I guess that was that was the way I was trying to figure out stuff is from hearing it from the bottom, you know. Which I think, is, which is advice that I usually give people who are struggling with with ear training, you know. Yeah. But, if you focus on the bass, that you know, usually there's not much information. I mean, not so much information in the bass as is on top. So that gives you some sort of focus or, or guideline to to follow. I'm, what I'm curious about, Larry, is um, if you hear something like that, how do you get it into your system? I mean, you're, you're, you're transcribing it or learning it by ear, but what, what happened, what's the next step for you? Well, to give you a specific example, Prokofiev, okay, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Um, there was something in there that just, I uh, just flipped me out. Yeah. And that was, again, I don't know what key it's in, but it's this move. Whoa. It's so beautiful. It's like the lover's theme or something yeah. like that. It comes in and out of the ballet. 
And so an example of that, I sat down with a thing, you know, pre-internet, and, uh, you know, just tried to figure out what's going. It's the pizzicato strings are doing those, you know. First of all, so I analyze it, right? Yeah. So I go, you know, just like you do. So say he's in D. He's got a melody. He's got, I, the, I hear the outer. I remember it was like, what's going on? So figure out the outer notes. Yeah. You know, he goes up, he goes down to go up, you know, which I love because he's in, he's in D. Say he's in D. Yeah. And it's all the bass, the bass that allows him. Yeah. He's very slickly go up a half step. Then he goes. He starts in D, goes up to E flat, resolves in D flat. Yeah. With what seems like no movement. Yeah. You know? Yeah. E flat over A flat, C over A flat, which is his five chord. Mm. So it's a five chord that is a major seven with a major five, if you want to look at that that way. Yeah. I don't think Prokofiev would describe it that way. <laughs> Say, man, check it out. Shot five, motherfucker. <laughs> um, and the pizzicato. Mm. And the D flat's always a surprise. Yeah. Even though mm. he's going all country on us. But it's like... yeah. yeah. But he's, he's, he starts in D. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think at some point he starts there and does it again. Yeah. So yeah. It's all it's all D major scale there, like B minor seven yeah. for a second. Wow! And then he starts there. Uh, sorry, D over A. Yeah. B. So, <laughs> so, so what I take from that is I go the thing that I mean every every step of that is brilliant but the one thing that i grabbed onto was the idea of a five one and i was like wait a minute i mean it's almost like i had heard that before Hmm. and never seen never seen anybody get there that way for sure but it reminded me of like some disney yeah totally disney kind of music and i've heard it in ravel as well right so I was like, okay, how am I going to use my five as a major seven sharp five? So that's how it starts. It's like, well, there's five ones all over the fucking place. Yeah. So I was like, um, yeah. There it is. I was like, oh. That's it the works. chord. Yep. It's the Disney chord. Yeah. So I do that a lot now. That yep. that is now a device. Me that too. 
one might you too i'm guilty too yep ah, so you can add and you can add the six too yeah that reminds me of claire fisher who, who used to do that you know yeah. Yeah. yeah so so then it becomes a device yeah i mean i have so many not so many but i always think of them as devices i mean yeah. If you can use them artfully, then they sound better than a device. But they are devices. Yeah. And um, not that I can say I can think of another time where Prokofiev used that, but I'm sure he did. But mm. um, so there's an example. Um, even as early as like I remember when I heard this. I think I had somebody. You know, one of my early lessons was to very slowly. I didn't even get beyond the first. Yeah. I don't think I maybe learned eight bars of that yeah. piece. It's enough in there. Yeah. To know that you could take the diatonic scale and make it sound that beautiful. You know, it's like, okay. And then you hear Bell Evans. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a, an early uh, thing. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, none of this stuff inspired me to become a great reader and player <laughs> of music. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate. Years. I can relate to that. I have a feeling your reading is is better than mine. Uh, not to mention your uh, your facility, but I think. But in a way, depending on where you want to go with it, um, uh, it's been good enough. It's been good enough for me. I mean, I would love to be able to. Somebody just posted something about Roland Hanna because it was his mm -hmm. birthday the other day, and Roland was uh, at the New School when I first got there, and was mm -hmm. very took me under his wing and was very good to me. And um, he would constantly ask me if I'm practicing my um, Chopin etudes. Yeah. You know. Um, Did you? Not really. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've, you know, I never really worked that hard on, I certainly didn't do all of them and I only really glanced at a few of them. But again, my, I've listened to, probably all of Chopin's piano output. Yeah. I mean, all of it, but a lot of it. Um, another example, uh, there's a Rubinstein recording of this piece. Again, I think I might have looked at the book once just to make sure I had a, a chord right, but yeah. so lazy, so lazy as a, <laughs> as a person. But uh, it vaguely goes... Uh, all the left hand wrong i'm doing it you know i'm just playing the harmony It's like fucking. What's, what's the so name of this piece? It's a from. It's one of the Novel Etudes. Ah. Yeah. 
Rubinstein okay. in general is uh, such a such a great in, interpreter of Chopin's music. I mean, who's who's your favorite for Chopin? Um, and that's the one the person I know best. And it's you know it's I haven't done a huge comparison. I think I've heard Polini. I have mm -hmm. Polini play the etudes. Yeah. I like Polini, and I got to see Polini. I'm not, I don't think playing Chopin, but playing Beethoven. No, no, no. It was Brendel. I got to see Brendel playing Beethoven. Mm. Polini might have played some Beethoven. I don't remember. Um, but uh, yes, I do, and I have, to, and then it, there is something about the first time you you know a classic recording. You know, yeah. you really do get used to the interpretation. Absolutely. The tempos, you know, the way it was recorded. Mm -hmm. um, like, I loved both, uh, well, of course, the early Gould Goldbergs and the later Gold Goldbergs. Yeah. Later Gould Gold Goldbergs. <laughs> later Gould Goldbergs. <laughs> and have you seen those videos about the making of the one in 1980 or whatever it was? all over youtube i haven't seen the video I, i read a book about him and his favorite piano and uh his relationship to that piano and wow. they also go to the through that the recording processes uh, where he used it and i think he oh, still yeah. used it there or maybe it was already broken it's kind of a love story with him and the with that piano yeah check out some of the video online it's astounding the, the amount of uh cutting he was doing you know yeah um editing which just gave me so much help, hope that, yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. just like, first of all, that's ahead of his time. He had no shame in doing it. Yeah. And it was tied into why he stopped performing. He, he just felt like there's no way that he could ever get what he felt was the ultimate oh, performance. I, I just had a recording session uh, for my, my solo record. And I, during this Corona time, I recorded the the solo thing in July. So I was just getting into playing more solo because I always felt like very, very insecure about it. And mm -hmm. uh, throughout this time now, I've, I've written a couple of more songs that uh, make more sense as solo pieces. So oh. I felt like, okay, I should record them. I went into the studio and two of the pieces were written out in, in completely, but nothing super scary, but everything, every note was written down, which mm -hmm. is new for me in that way uh, to go into the studio and just play how it should be, you know, and right. not wait for inspiration of, oh, how should I play this line? No, you should, you know, you, you come in soft and then you crescendo, whatever, you know. And I just noticed that I don't have the facility. I'm not a classical piano player. I mean, it's, it's a, a, a stupid realization after all this time. But still, it was like, That's an art form in itself, you know, yeah. um, to to be able to I don't I don't control my craft in that way so that I can, apart from inspiration, just say where I want to play, how, in what way, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, it's amazing to see how these some of these people break down really what they're going to do, you know, in terms at least. I mean, I think the greatest ones can be spontaneous and try things, yeah. you know, and they talk about how they, you know, I was in this hall and I don't know what happened during the scherzo, but I just, you know, it's like, and, and it's true. I mean, 
I, I, I've been watching uh, Chris John Zimmerman masterclasses online. Yeah. Fucking great. Mm. I, I really like him as a teacher. He's mm -hmm. very kind to the students and he talks about sort of extra musical things. You know, he, he was saying to one kid, this gets off subject a little bit. Oh, actually, well, let me keep it more on subject. He was talking to some, it was for a Chopin competition. He was meeting with all these kids who had been finalists in a Chopin competition, I guess in Poland. And, um, this one person was playing, I wish, again, I don't know if it was a polonaise or what the hell it was, but it was something that had a long arc of a, of a melody and stuff. Yeah. And he was saying that um, he's feeling like the person's not, just doesn't have their mind wrapped around the piece as a whole when, yeah. he's, when he's playing the melody, even though it's this very slow. And he says, and he sits down and says, try playing it really fast just kind of so you can hear how the harmony moves and you can hear how the melody moves if it's only if the, if you're playing it fast enough that it only takes like 30 seconds to play the whole the whole idea yeah. and i thought that brilliant you know i can't remember the piece yeah but it's like it's going through the you know that piece that i was just playing or a piece that we know you know like uh oh I actually i'm not gonna remember that but if you go through a piece and you just, just so you can really see the long uh, idea. Yeah. So you're not like stuck and it's like, and, and I just thought that was brilliant. Also that he asked this one kid after a pretty good performance, he says, are you nervous? Were you nervous playing for me? And he said, yes, I was very nervous. He says, and he says, uh, well, if, I think they, they talked about whether he was nervous about the piece or he was more and more nervous about his relationship with the audience. And mm. they, they talked about the latter. And he said, see all these people? Because this totally applies to us, you mm. know. See all these people? They came here, some from far away, in their cars and found parking and, you know, set aside the time to see you. Yeah. Because they know that, they're going to have an incredible afternoon and that they trust. And so what do you, what do you, what are you nervous about? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was just like, so yeah. down to earth. I remember being backstage with James Taylor. It was like one of these big pressure kind of gigs, I guess for him, because there was TV and it was like a really, I was at Tanglewood and it was just like 20,000 people, something yeah. he's been doing for years, yeah. you know, and he's back there and he's sort of, you know, and then he, I think I'm standing there with Kate Markowitz, one of the um, longtime singers, and, and he goes, this is what we do, right? <laughs> what we do. <laughs> and I thought that, well, even James Taylor has to remind himself, you know, yeah. like, this is what I do. So it's okay. Yeah. You know, and people, and, and even Chris John Zimmerman mentioned something about love. He was like, it's, this is, people are here because they want, you know, they love music. They, they want it. It's, it's. So don't be, you don't have to be nervous about that. Anyway, it's a total aside, but I just thought that was so Very refreshing. Good. Yeah. You know, to hear from such a heavy guy and, you know, I mean, of course he can break down all the technical musical stuff, but you think about how do these people deal with that? Yeah. Pressure, you know, um, I mean, when I play a, a when I, a, 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 a a, at least to me, something that's obviously a fuck up. 
back in the day, especially, and maybe that was only 10, you know, I still do it. Sometimes you just can't, you can't get beyond it. Yeah. It's, it's the yeah. one thing you focus on for the rest of the gig. Even if you played like great later. Yeah. To the gig, somebody asks you, how was the gig? And you go, ah, cause all you're thinking about is those one or two things that, that in your mind were a huge, you know, because you wanted to go somewhere else. What's that? Because you wanted to go somewhere else, maybe, and you failed that attempt, but you're mm -hmm. not able to hear the, the final result of what happened there. And somebody else, even in the yeah. band, might think, this is a great idea. Or, yeah. how cool. Or, or finally, or he's I fucking love, up. I love when you, when you did that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being in the recording studio with uh, one, of, one of the most neurotic. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, because um, I know he's watching. <laughs> Who is David it? Sanborn David Sanborn he was in the studio there was this thing that he did it was he was guesting on my first uh, on my Warner Brothers record where I had Maceo as a guest and this was Matt Pearson's idea uh, the producer yeah. and uh, I'm glad we it was amazing to have them in the, but they weren't in the studio together they were supposed to do a duet but um, anyway But like he did this thing where he was going for this thing and he goes, what? and it was such a powerful moment because it was spontaneous and he didn't hit the note. But then he, so he, he, he's listening back and he goes, stop, you need to erase that take. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, first of all, no, no, we got to use that, that moment. That's great. Yeah. And he was so besides himself with shame that, yeah. that someone would hear that. And most of the people in the control room were like, actually, this happened to me the other day where I was the one who was insisting <laughs> that I need to over, I need to um, punch something in to correct something. Yeah. And both Kave and uh, the guys I was working with, they thought I was absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah. I, I kept going. I kept on. No, 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 no. no. Come on. And I, I spent time on this to, to like see how I could you know, get into the right moment and fix it. Mm -hmm. Everybody was like, dude, what are you doing? You know, I really couldn't see the forest for the trees. I just yeah. couldn't. Uh, wasn't seeing the big picture, you know. I mean, now maybe I should hear it again, you know, a week or two later and see mm -hmm. if I'm like, oh, what's wrong? But then again, you have to follow your, 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 your real instincts about things like that. But, um, you should also be respectful to the people who, who you respect, who are saying, dude, you gotta leave, you gotta leave it. You know, yeah. we're getting, getting off, off course there. I had a little list of, um, other things I, I wanted. To I don't mind oh, getting off, of course. It's, it's yeah. fine. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, I wish they would, they could put the camera right where the person's face is. I think I could make a lot of money if I could figure out a virtual camera that always follows where you, where you, what you're seeing, yeah. like a like a sci-fi uh, glasses or something like that. I think that uh, I notice when newscasters aren't looking at you, you know, it's very distracting. Yeah. Anyway, so here here's a list of just things. Maybe this sparks something. WC. I already talked about. Oh, here's another one. Oh, yeah. 
don't even know if that's correct because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it by ear. But you know that what that's from one yeah. of those preludes. One of the preludes, yeah. So, here's what I grabbed from this, and I'm sorry we don't have a camera. Oh, can I change cameras in the middle? Don't change cameras in the middle <laughs> of the stream. Giddy up. That's a uh, tower of power. Um, try it. Let me try it. Try it. Um, Just leave it like it is. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Leave it. Um, yeah. So that one. Yeah. That was that's the that's the one that I stole, and I and I just tried to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just trying to figure out what it was. So I brought that B up, mm. you know, and saw it as that. I was like, oh, okay, that just looks like an A flat minor major seven. Then kind of resolving to a diminished chord, right. right? But what if B flat were really the root mm. of that chord? And therefore, it's some kind of suspended five chord. Hmm. Yeah. So what if, but we left out the root, but we just know that it's kind that of it's, there. That's where it's so coming we can from. resolve it as a 5-1. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time it sounds like a surprise because the bass note yes. is on that flat nine. <laughs> How does it sound if you if you go from the B to the B flat? Or I mean to resolve oh. it, to resolve it to the E flat over B flat. To resolve it to the E flat over B flat. Oh, you mean Oh. I mean what I mean is like, Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good, too. You don't need the E-flat. A little bit more Brazilian, maybe. Yeah. Right. It's like some Chico Buarque or something. But where, why do you change the chord there? It's the same. And then you go to A-flat? Yeah, now I'm just doing... Yeah, you're right. But right. always, oh, the always the third time when you modulate the chord, you, you change the initial chord. I do? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. It's My fine. mistake. I was just being careless. No, no, it's, it sounds great. Is that right? No. That's it. Yeah, it's a major third on top, right? Yeah. 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 So then, I mean, th yeah, and that's it. Once you figure out that something can be used as, you know, in the context of this, yeah. then you just try to use it every chance you get. Do you know the prelude right? by Ravel? He only wrote <laughs> one prelude. Do you? Yeah. Can I hear it? They, oh, I don't well, you really, know. I could try to play it, but. It's gonna very sound very pathetic, but there's one moment from it. Yeah, play me um, the moment. 
And that's the moment. The one yeah. moment, the one moment is the. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah, that's my moment. Play it again. So. Oh, okay. That's it. So A minor wow. seven, and then it goes to like a, like a B uh, uh, augmented. Augmented. Yeah. Wow. So I, I went to you know. Damn. I went so to major chords huh even on major chords yeah, you're doing I, 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 when i do something like this because i do it the same way like you but i, I only grant myself that one thing like i, I have right. to find a way to do, only do that but that right before that doesn't he go uh this kind of thing almost yes uh. yes that's Bill Evans, you know. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a Chopin piece that I... Um... Um... The voicings are so sparse and it's so beautiful. Hmm. Um... Does this sound familiar? Um, maybe it's, I need more. Um, damn it, I can't remember now. Um, I, 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 I basically I took I made a tune out of it, hmm. um, but I can't remember that either. Um, foray uh, when I was in high school. Yeah, when did it start with with uh, foray? For, with I had you? the hippest, um, really the guy who was responsible for. Um, getting me into the, the high school, the private high school that I went to was the music teacher because yeah. my grades, my SAT scores were shit. And, um, or I mean, they were on the, on the edge of, of being shit. And then I, I applied and this guy, Keith Danielle, I found out later was just like, just, we could really use him, you know? And yeah. then, I went to this great school, Concord Academy in Concord, Massachusetts, and had a great education in music uh, as well because of Keith and uh, various other people who were in the department. And he was a—he uh, had done his college thesis on, um, on uh, not Foray, but Poulenc. Mm. But he knew a lot about French music, 
and he was also the chorus conductor and um one year we did the foray requiem and and i think he gave me the baritone solo which was that piece that half diminished mm-hmm. then he goes no. <laughs> um, tell me about the way he understood the half diminished what's your take on it this also kills me <laughs> yeah so that he moves, he moves up the James Bond yeah uh, it's just yeah okay this also where he keeps a, a note in the bass where it's you know he doesn't go to the so that his bass can keep going up right here just a passing chord but it implies it's almost like a pivot pivotal chord like it could go different places but he just uses it to go back to a and then this this okay uh, this whole sequence is great f over a b half a over c a minor over c G9 over D A or D minor 6 really but it's the bass yeah upwards motion and he's yeah. dead. he can go back to his F7 and this whole sequence of just sort of playing with the sequence he gets back to familiar harmonic territory then he, right. um but he does oh the other one i love is uh oh i can't play it oh you played it on a record of yours yes it's it's one of the songs yeah you hit me to the songs What is that? Damn it. It's, yeah. Foray. I don't know. People say that he knew some shit about older modes, you know, uh-huh. that he, that he utilized more than 
others. You know, I need oh. to check into that. Mm-hmm. It's really into the fallopian mode. Um, foray. Um, then we got right. We talked about well, bacharels always come up in conversation when I if I teach, when somebody just yeah. is playing shit for for voice leading. Mm-hmm. I go first. I go. You're playing shit for voice leading. Sure. That's how you start the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even before you hurt somebody, you're playing yeah. shit for voice. And I find them. I find them, you know, yeah. if the, if the, say if the lesson's a hundred bucks, yeah, bang, 105. Do you know this? It's from one of the backgrounds. I don't expect you to know every sector, but. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> God, that reminds me. Of, <laughs> that reminds me of this. You mean, ah, shit. I have it too, but only because yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, uh, so good, so good. I mean, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? How Secret. slick are you? Can yeah. you get from a flat minor? to E minor in Bob, I can do that in two moves, you know, <laughs> um, that is a great exercise, you know, and to do it. And it just shows you, man, you're just, I think, I think Roland also used to say it. You're just one note away. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's half step away. And in a way, if you're thinking on your feet enough and you, and you can see all the, um, all the possible possibilities of, of, for that next moment, you know, um, I walked into the new, a new school class one day. It was, uh, well, there's two things that, first of all, uh, I learned about some classical pieces from some of the heaviest jazz cats. Jimmy Heath was in, uh, he, he was looking at the Ravel, String quartet. I hadn't heard the Ravel string quartet, mm. and he said he was checking it out because he was commissioned by the um, Kronos mm-hmm. to write a, a an arrangement for them for uh, Naima. Mm. So it's like, yeah, I got to go back into the Ravel, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we were talking about. It, there's like Jimmy's Heath telling me like, I got to hear the hear the Ravel. Like, okay. Another day, Donald Bird. I'll never forget this, Donald Bird. He had his Walkman on, his little little headphones. He's like, "There, come here!" And he put he put on one one phone on my ear, and he had another phone wow. on his. And he was pretend, doing pretend trumpet fingerings, and it was Jacques Ebert. It was the Ebert flute concerto. Oh, you know, that's, the, yeah, that's beautiful. That slow movement. Mm-hmm. First movement's great too, or the fast one. I don't remember what it was, but that slow movement is just like, oh, those. Mm extensions that happen in the chords and um so that was another that impressed on me that these guys you just thought as like great jazz guys from a totally earlier generation they they knew music yeah you know you hear about how coleman hawkins loved opera and that influenced his 
you know, or maybe it's Ben Webster loved opera. Anyway, I've got Ravel Stravinsky's Soldier Story was mm. a big one for me, as was Patricia and so much of his music. But Soldier Story, I just loved that it was the closest thing to like, like a ja- like a jazz like like in terms of the size of a group right that you could put together mm-hmm. and you're and and utilize them in that way and get like an orchestral sound like that and and the ideas are so great i also had the villa lobos guitar collection the etudes the etudes yeah fucking love julian bream plays plays them great you seen that video where bream a very young and confident julian bream goes up to stravinsky stravinsky yeah sure (laughs) stravinsky sort of like doesn't give him the time of day great um shostakovich symphonies Hmm. before i knew anything about what the hell was going on i don't know really i haven't studied shostakovich really um have you heard keith do the shostakovich preludes and fuse i haven't yeah no i think they're good i mean i don't have a lot to compare them to but um yeah he plays great he's doing Uh, (laughs) oh He can put it all together pretty good there, oh, Keith. Uh, but I remember loving the dark, brooding Russian uh, sound of the of the symphonies. Yeah, you know, um, I'm Russian Jewish, so there was so, so always been something about Russian mm-hmm. literature and um, music that I don't know the heaviness of it. The mm-hmm. one time I went to Russia, I thought the people were just like fucking unhappy <laughs> and i was first i was like well it's russia i mean they're 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 under this horrible government and when did you go there relatively recently i think it was uh just a couple of years ago with peter and bill huh we went to um we were in and out we went to one outdoor festival which was yeah. Not really that well put together, it seemed. And then, um, but my impression was, if you go up to somebody in the hotel, while you're speaking, this is their expression. They're going, like, (laughs) please don't ask anything of me right now. What Mm. could you you possibly want from me right now, (laughs) even though I work here and I'm supposed to? And... There's something that struck me, maybe because maybe my darkness and my struggle with appreciating the good things about my life, maybe that's a Russian thing. Is it? Something, wow. There was something about my Russian trip that was like, maybe, maybe there's just a, a whole fabric of kind of difficulty in enjoying life that maybe that's a russian thing anyway i digest uh, <laughs> what else do we have prokofiev is another one come yeah. on oh we talked about prokofiev yeah brahms fourth the brahms intermezzos right oh sorry yeah, i can't play it but that's the one i love <laughs> somehow i i I lost it uh pictures at an exhibition i don't know that was something that i 
my father had or something, Mazorski. Mm. Always loved that. Um, you know, but um, uh, and the just, I think I knew from or, from listening to orchestral music that when I would try to transfer it to the piano, that I realized the difference between just playing chords yeah. and moving things within the chords, you yeah. know, inner voices and the, and the accident, little minor little accidents that happen when voices cross and imply harmony, you know, and don't just state it, you know, implying, was, but also in a way, uh, um, I love it. This is the same thing with that revolting what we talked about, where where the music says it's one thing, but then it always says like, but is it really? Yeah. You know? It's not yeah. it's not always like in one direction. I love when it goes into and I think that's what you're talking yeah. about as well, right? Yeah. And you know God, if only they, they, they when they taught little kids, you know, you also like <laughs> were forced to do an analysis of it. I mean, there's so much going on in that piece. Yes. Yeah. The way one note changes everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that is some slick ass shit. Mm. Uh, in a similar vein, the Strauss that we were talking about the other yes. day that you did the transcription for me of. Mm -hmm. um, just, wow. It's almost like he had a pitch bend or something on his, on his piano, yeah. you know, when he, when he wrote it's pretty crazy pretty crazy I, there was there was one moment that was my um my favorite moment somehow where he goes from the yeah i think it was this moment um yes wait a minute what is that you yeah. you sent it to me didn't you so it's C minor and then it's E major over B. And then B half diminished. And then C minor over E uh, over B flat. Fuck. How does it work? I mean it's just voice leaning. Again. I think he just goes, Oh, I'm pretty close to the C. <laughs> minor. But I want the bass to go down. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's so slick. Hey, do it again. <laughs> okay, let's take that. Oh, what was the third chord? Oh, yeah. Okay. First of all, that just that alone is yeah. great. It's What incredible, yeah. Okay, so. Wait, what is it? Okay, so that's C minor. Ha, 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 ha. 
Yeah. I mean, you can use it. Sure. But I'm going to work on that. So that's in the um, in the original key. That would be. Is it? So let me see. That's. Uh, um, Nice. Is it this or am I wrong? A flat minor going to C major over G. A minor six above. Where you're resolving. What key are we in? So I thought we were in C major. So right. the minor chord should be on that note. And the the, the melody note was in the minor third, so that's A flat minor. And resolving to C major over G. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it's nice if you go then to the G half diminished. Oh, wow. Like nice. the monk thing where he sometimes takes the B minor and says G half diminished, like in reflections yeah. or something. Yeah, but that is, that's brilliant. Wait a minute. The first chord of that Strauss was what? C minor. With what in the melody? E flat. Oh, E flat. That's just fucking great. Yeah, but I, I yeah. don't think I have understood this yet. This yet. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because it's also nice that the the upper structure is like D minor and C minor. Hmm. It's mind blowing. Other than the fact that the voice leading is all either half steps or whole steps away. You know, you could also say. Huh. You do that. Or take and the B natural, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Um. In me, uh, amazing. Yeah. Harmony is amazing. But then, then, then there's the next part. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, yes. Yet. That's some fucking Wagnerian Straussian shit. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I found this chord the other day with two uh, two minor major sevens a whole step away, which is pretty nice. Yeah, especially. about to do a close yep. sounds like some herbie shit <laughs> um what else wow. can we talk about i i sent you this piece um oh. today did you did you check it out scintillation by uh, carlos salcedo no how did you send it to me i sent it on uh, via email Uh, maybe Via. one hour before we started talking or something. Great. Let's It's a harpist that. and composer. And I, I found out about him because I read that he was one of uh, Coltrane's biggest heroes. Really? So I wow. made an effort to find all of the records that I think Coltrane might have had. And I found this crazy piece. And it's it's. Uh, I've been listening to it uh, on repeat for the last months. And today I finally made a list of a couple of my favorite chords from it here it is great so this is one i'm going to play you my favorite chords from them okay here's, here's another one and here's another one uh <laughs> Wait, is my iTunes playing it? Now? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. We we could listen to it together. Okay. Okay, let's start again. When did this person live? Um, he was born in the end of the 19th century and I think he lived until the mid 60s. Some extending. Jesus. <laughs> did you find the music or did you figure these chords out? Found the music. Oh,
that a harpist? Yeah. It's not Harpo Marx. this person he liked him yeah you know that he was a, was a book about him uh and he said it in an interview and he he was asked who are your main heroes and he was like uh, ravi shankar ornette coleman and carlos salcedo wow so I, so i was like i need to check out this guy wow and he wrote uh harp etude books And Coltrane used to practice out of them. They're full of uh, full of arpeggios and stuff like that, you know. Oh my God! And apparently, yep. uh, he bought a harp and said to Alice, "Like, please learn this." <laughs> learn wow. <the> <laughs> of course, he also liked Slaninsky. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, that book really is beautiful. Sounds like an orchestra, right? Yeah, and I love how this part is so tonal. I mean, everything is tonal, but... This also uh, kind of blew my mind when I started listening to these. Oh, I think I have, I've heard this before. What is it again? Well, it's Irving Berlin. We know that much. <laughs> tried to find I didn't know what performance to find but this one seemed good it's one of the, it's the first of the sonatas and interludes uh, for prepared prepared piano John Cage mm. <laughs> and it's melodies it's themes it's just you know the idea of writing a piece for basically an instrument that you're remaking you know sure, yeah. then you write to that new piano i just that to me when i just um have you worked with that prepared piano no but i've been uh recently i figured out how to make a contact instrument uh a microtonal any kind of microtonal scale hmm so actually I, i i recorded a few things there's one of them mm -hmm. 
I want to turn that into something. I have a few microtonal meanderings that I did. I How think do you that play is, this? How you... That was through an arpeggiator. Right, okay. Playing it. Um, what time is it? Nine. Is it nine? accidents you know because i was i was just putting through putting different that's the thing when you look at the piano and suddenly it's not the piano and oh, it's yeah. all uh what's that word gestural you mm -hmm. know right you, you get a certain tuning and you start to think you start to think okay that's roughly going to be a triad <laughs> i fucking love that <laughs> savino did it too right with that with that synth that went backwards he right. did. I'm wondering if he also did another thing because he was genius enough to, to have done it even when mm -hmm. you had to fucking be a computer scientist to do it. What is it? Because I was messing with this microtonal thing where it, you can decide how many notes you're splitting, how much you're splitting the octaves. Mm. Well, if you go below 12... That's wild, because then what it does is it sort of doubles some notes. It leaves out some notes so you can play. So you have these skips mm -hmm. between steps. Right. And you can play some fucking shapes really fast. Can you demonstrate? You know, it might take me. No, I think I can. Um, I'm not going to remember how to do Yes. If it takes me more than three minutes to figure this out, then we'll it's bet. Fine. Okay, contact. I go into the contact instrument. I press the little screwdriver. <laughs> there are two ways to do it. There's one way to just to detune the notes within your scale, and then it'll repeat. Mm -hmm. you know, like this. Wait. So I can go to each note and do my own detuning. the Hans Groener microtonal record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? True. All right. Now, that's not the one I want, though. I want the one where you can really create a new... Okay, let me just... might have to go to YouTube... Utilities, no. Oh, notes per octave. There it is. Okay. So this is 24 notes per octave. Crazy, right? Wow, yeah. 
Um, now, if you go, now let's make it a little smaller, like uh, 19. Let's try to find a triad. That's a seventh, actually, major seventh. <laughs> so I'm actually playing F, E, and F sharp, a ninth above. All right, check this out. This is what I just love about If we go down to like four or five, then it splits it like, like okay, this is wild. I mean, it's just math, and I suck at math. Yeah, me too. No. It's wow. chromatic. <laughs> no, what? Because it's splitting it in quarters. Yep. Right? So I'm, <laughs> can you see my keyboard? Yeah, I can see it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I'll split it in thirds. It's really hard to get the numbers where you want them on the, there we go. Hold on. Oh, Which shit. program is this? So it has to be a contact instrument. Huh. Anything you open in contact. Here's thirds. Right. Just diminished. Yeah. Here's seconds. But what happens if you don't play chromatically? Okay. So let's start at... Here's eight. There's a C scale. That's microtonal because you can't split it yeah. that way. So I'm thinking that Joe might have picked, like, say, if he was able to figure this out, which it almost seems like he was. Um, what was it that was given me? Wow. <laughs> you can play that clean? Incredible. Uh I can't come in here. Four. We already did that. Two. It's just <laughs> optic. It's so fun. Uh, wait, I can't get to three. Uh, I hate this. I'm not using the mouse correctly on this or something. Six. It's all whole tone. It's all whole tone. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. A little limited harmonically, but um, <laughs> uh, what didn't we do? We didn't do seven. I can't get it to land on seven. Why? Maybe you can type it. Don't yell at me. <laughs> I can't. I can't type it in. And now I've just lost it completely. Um, anyway, I think, do, do you have logic? I have logic, yeah. Then you have contact. Mm -hmm. 
pretty sure. And you can you can try this, and I can I can walk you through it. But here's like but these fucking microtones, man. Oh wait a minute, this is how you do it. Six. How we work? We we have this, I think. Oh, but if you do. triads <laughs> so there must be no so yeah So that's fun. That's fun. But I love this sort of gestural. I love that even on a digital instrument. Yeah. It pretty much gives you the, the effect. To breathe. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. 13. Whoa. Wow. What's wrong, Pablo? Do you like jazz? <laughs> it should sound good, it's, but it doesn't. It sounds grown in the other direction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. If anyway. jazz is in the middle and Heinz Groener is here, then yeah. this is here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so enough of that about that. But that's pretty fun stuff. Um, a couple other things harmonically that, that have uh, excited me recently, uh, since you asked. Uh, do you ever check out the Mick Goodrick books? No, I haven't, no. I mean, somebody on the road gave me three of these fucking books. They're like this thick. I want you to have these. And actually, when I opened one of them on a long bus ride, and I started going into it, I did pick up some really cool little things. There's a point, though, like five pages in, where he takes the first concept and then goes like the next level, and he just loses me. And it's mm -hmm. really interesting. It's just the idea that you can stack... Well, I don't know if it's just this idea. This is what I took from it. You can play. It's kind of a way of playing, going up physically, but going down musically mm -hmm. kind of idea. So if you like got C minor, but then you keep doing minor chords going up, but you're actually going to go half step down musically. Mm -hmm. So C minor, B minor, B flat minor, but you're going to go up. Oh, okay. You know, mm -hmm. this this side. Yeah. You know, uh, that kind of blew my mind. Um, where, like, it started, started making me think, well, could I write progressions like that? That mm -hmm. hide the fact that they're just moving 
stepwise down, you know, and maybe hide it by way of different bass notes. Like don't always have a root in the bass, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking this through for the first time right now. Uh, so C minor or Let's say this, a line that does that, you know, so. You know. <laughs> I don't know. Trying can you, to. Can you do that again? And, and yeah. say the and first is C yeah. minor and. So I'm going C in a minor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay with a C minor pedal. Yeah. B minor. B flat minor. Oh, yeah, right. Or, or kind of do this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going down. So going up, you change the inversion to yeah. maintain the uh, the upward motion, right? Exactly. I keep having to look over here yeah. to look at what root is. You know, that's the way to remember. It's B C, B flat, a B, B minor, A, A flat. Let me try. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> right. Hey. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there's a line. get the 12 notes but you don't something at one point at some point it repeats i yeah. mean you get a repeated note it's almost the 12 tone scale though yeah right you got one two three four five six seven eight nine that don't repeat then another one that's a new one then you get two repeated notes so it's almost 12 tones so i don't know there is something deceptive that you can do where you're, because you're going up, it still sounds like you're going up. But isn't it the same thing that I showed you of the uh, Chopin piece with the, with the triads that went down? The... Yeah. How's that going now? Yeah. C major. B major. Yes. Not... Yeah, it's similar, except except it is going down physically. Right. And, that's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's that's similar. That's similar. That's similar. Uh. But I wonder if you can apply that, like C minor, B minor. You know, just add you know jazz jazzy notes. Totally like jazzy notes. <laughs> B flat, A minor, yeah. A flat minor, G minor, F sharp minor, 
That's actually pretty hip. It reminds me of something. I've never done it this way, and that's basically the concept, going down. to see holy shit sounds amazing now what if we change the bass notes to those okay so i'll still do the descending minor chords yeah change the bass notes to like make them sound suspended maybe Alternate. I'll go. B flat minor. A uh, B, B flat and minor. D? And now A minor over D. Yeah. A flat. G minor. F sharp minor. Yeah. I don't know. Something there. That does remind me also of something. Do you know this? No. Yeah, it's from Daphne's E Chloe also. There's a Basically, what it is, it sounds to me like. But you leave out every second, second chord. And yeah, you leave out so C minor, F7. You leave out F7, and then you leave out B minor, and then you play E7. Wait, is that E? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then he does the same thing, in, uh, or similar, something similar in, in major. But you know what's similar to that is that Strauss. Yeah. Right. It's a relationship. Yeah, uh, the major major third relationship, right? The major. Yeah, that's from Wild Shit. And also, when you played that Chopin uh, Chopin uh, Nouvelle Etude thing, yeah. the way he modulated through the keys sounded also like major third relationships. Oh no, no earlier, yeah, yeah. I've that's been I've been playing this. Uh, this uh, list, Liebestraum, you know the Liebestraum? I've heard it, yeah.
you know, he, he does the same thing there, you know. Yeah. Major third. Yeah. You know what I got fascinated with? This piece. Um, the What first it? time it's, it's by Grieg, uh, uh, not Grieg. Um, it became the, it's the thing you hear at graduations mm. all the time. It's called Pomp and circumstance, not by Grieg. Is it by Grieg? Oh, I'll have to, uh, um, not Grieg. Sibelius Pomp maybe? No, he's English, British. Br um, okay. But anyway. Um, I just want to do the, the first time is different from the second time. Yeah. Um, at one point it goes. First time it goes. so beautiful yeah um talk about bass movement you know mm -hmm. and contrary motion yeah that he voices it differently the second time yeah but for some reason this hit always hits me mm -hmm. i think we're gonna go somewhere else here but all that is is a way to go yeah He was into the gospel shit. <laughs> Whoever it is we're talking about. Yeah, Not we'll Britain. we'll we'll put it here. We'll put it here. Yeah. Um I, I, I'm curious, Larry, how do you internalize stuff? I mean, always when I see you, you I think you know so many pieces, of course, of the jazz literature, but also you seem to be yeah, there seems to be no no limit. How do you internalize so much and, and keep it there so you can access it every time? I don't know. You do the same thing. For me, I, it's, again, it's just, it's just um, understanding it as, as a, as a, as a device and using it in my practice, 
you know. Right, but my- I mean, complete pieces like that. There's so many devices oh. in there, you know. So yeah. Well, I don't know a lot of complete pieces, you know, outside of the jazz literature, but um, that was just one I happened to analyze. Right. Actually, I've known it my whole life because you hear it on television all the time. It's the it's the cliche thing that they play at graduations. Mm. Uh, Pomp and Circumstance by Mick Goodrick. <laughs> and um, just for simplicity's sake. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And uh I don't know. I put it put it in different keys, you know, usually yep. just yeah, see just to understand it more. Yeah. You know, and you see what you don't understand yet, right? Yeah. And um things that always sounded like some, you know, big reharmonization you realize are only different because the because he harmonized it differently in the bass, like this thing. Instead of this, first of all, this upward thing is great. Sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the baseline doesn't tell you a thing, really, mm-hmm. about really what's going on. You really have to, I mean, that could be anything, but it's, there's not much going on harmonically. One, five, one. Yeah. Four, one, two. Mm. That's all. There's three chords that he's using in the first couple bars. But so much movement. And the second time. Just the, at that as a, as a mood. Uh, you know, instead of... That's the piece. Yeah. How dumb is that? No. Yeah. Usually, when you break it down, it becomes super simple. Yeah. But who who was somebody, or how did you get to that point where you were able to tell what is what and what is, um, you know, so it's, so you can break it down like that. Like hear it. Yeah, hear it, but then also analyze it because sometimes you hear something and you think it's wild, then you break it down. But you have to have some sort of ground rule thing going yeah. to be able to tell what is what. Right. How did you work on that? Was there something that was particularly helpful? I mean, I just know that there were certain things early on that would I would get stuck on. Like I remember um hmm, No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I can't answer the question. I, I just, for some reason, very early popped to my brain because I remember I had the real book, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what was going on with this song. You know, except what's brilliant about that song is the the melody completely outlines those upper structure triads. You know, as I remember. Um, where does it start? Very early. Oh, it starts mm-hmm. on the uh, the melody is the fifth, uh, and then goes six, yeah, and then E flat. 
major. Right, but what's the melody? Da, da, do, so it's C, C, C7, actually. Oh. Right? No. Oh, yeah. Those chord tones are just totally inside those triads, you know. Yeah. And I remember, I remember realizing then that oh, all you need is the to know those triads, you know, to get those sounds. Mm. Then I spent years like discerning like when I should use the triad. You can't just use them, you know. They, they're 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 quick ways of getting to those different tones, but you don't necessarily just want to use one. Uh, randomly you know mm -hmm. certain sounds so um this has nothing to do with your question but uh, i think just i've always um at least maybe not as much as i used to when i was trying to figure out like something by ear and I could hear that the person had this note and this note and this note, but I'm still not getting the chord. It was just a question of, I've got to find it eventually. <laughs> it's <laughs> on the piano. Yeah. So I remember just like trial and error, like for, for some voicings. It's like, no, he's not playing that. No, mm -hmm. he's not playing that. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you realize like there is a solution, it's there. Yeah. I mean, some things like with Monk, you, you can't, whatever, you can't get the effect you know, of a chord because of the way he's hitting it. Okay, yeah. that's one. But, you know, there's only so many things he could be doing at that particular time. So mm -hmm. um, just the knowledge that the more you know, you know, and then the more you work with new sounds that you're discovering, then you're going to hear, then the next time you hear that sound, you'll recognize it. You won't yes. necessarily hear it. Mm -hmm. You know, you won't necessarily, unless people have perfect pitch, you know, but it'll be just a chord recognition thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I use that. You know, like if I hear somebody do, you know, I now it's something that I do a lot, unfortunately. And I know that that's, that's a dominant seven, you know, you know, above yeah. the half step above the chord. Yes. So then you learn that, and, you, and then you go, well, what's the next step I can take with that? If that's a dominant seven, let me do some of the things that I would normally do to a dominant seven. Mm -hmm. So start using that, and you, you hear somebody else, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that thing, you know, whatever. Put a sharp nine in there, or, yeah. or a regular nine. Yeah. And, or you go, oh, well, if this works to superimpose that voicing of a of a seventh chord, then other seventh chords must work in parallel, you know? Because, mm. or because I heard, because I, I recognized that, and then I heard Ravel do something, you yeah. know? Yeah, or whoever, yeah. you know? I was like, wait a minute, that starts with that chord that I know. Yeah. And then it just becomes, you know, but you have to be continually curious, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I, there's, there's so much I don't know. It's like when I listen to Dude to You, yeah. for instance, there is a French dude or dude. <laughs> dude. That, dude. <laughs> what a dude he is. Um, 
uh, I feel like it's my duty to no. I feel like, <laughs> like I cannot hear it due to you. You my cannot. Ear, oh, you I, cannot hear it. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's I. Even though it's tonal music, mm. uh, I just don't know where to begin. I haven't tried. I suppose I, I could sit down with four bars like I would normally do or two chords, you know, mm. and just try to do what I was just explaining. Like, okay, I've got that note. I've got that note. Or I could, <laughs> I could get the score, but you know, I, the point is that there's only so much so far that, you know, that I can hear or that I understand, you know, that, that or, or that I can turn into a language. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that guy's got a language. Yeah. The way Vince Mendoza has a, has an orchestral arranging language yeah like you know it's like what is he like with maybe it's the way he combines instruments maybe it's the way he doubles mm. uh, maybe he's giving a certain section of the orchestra slightly different role than you would normally hear them do i don't mm -hmm. know I analyzed it but i know that there's something about vince mendoza's writing that is different and that is definitely influenced by classical music you know yeah. uh same same goes with a lot of different uh not every arranger i mean i think some arrangers are more a little bit more generic sounding than others you know mm. be they clever and musical but people like uh him and you know ogreman has a similar kind oh, of yeah. like that's an ogreman thing maybe it's yeah. you know maybe because he's using roads you know or whatever it's still he's using things orchestrally you know yeah um, but, uh, what were the, some of the arrangers that you took, uh, where you took certain things or where you took things apart? I always liked Nelson Riddle. I yeah. always loved Frank's arrangers. Yeah. Me you too. know, I mean, even from the first time I heard, you know, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, what's that? Yeah. Why does that just that little ending Add this harmony. What's going on? You know, yeah. uh, or um, uh, I also love uh, like Sinatra's earlier arrangers, like uh, Axel Stordal, mm, who was actually I don't, I don't know. He was from um, Axel Stordal was from uh, Norway. Hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um. And then he came to the States and went to, I guess, L.A. or New York or I don't know what it was. And he co-wrote uh, I Should Care. Oh. Story. Um, but he had some great shit. Uh, I also loved, uh, yeah, Claire Fisher. And I yeah. just recently, but I didn't grow up knowing Claire Fisher. I'm, a, I'm sort of late to Claire Fisher as a piano player, which I'm embarrassed oh. to say because I found this early Claire Fisher record on iTunes recently with Gary Peacock, young Gary Peacock. Mm -hmm. The tunes on there are great. Mm. That guy was seriously great. Um, so I love Claire Fisher's arranging. Um, trying to think thing that, uh, things that I might have picked up. I don't know. Um, who else? Who else? Let me think of um, singers that I... This is record by Claire Fisher, uh, with Claire Fisher and George Shearing playing Bossa Nova tunes. Do you know that one? Mm -mm. 
just two pianos? No, no, no. Uh, Claire Fisher arranged like uh, woodwinds for Joe oh, Cheering to cool. play uh, Joe Beam's tunes. Oh man, I, know, I haven't heard that. I think you're gonna like it. It's it's wow. incredible. It's really wow. really incredible. Um, Shearing is also a great mm. arrangement in his way. You know, I mean, on the piano for yeah. the small groups, and pretty much what I learned about reharmonization early on was from analyzing um, a few shearing solo piano things. Yeah. You know. minor chords mm -hmm. and then on the bridge he goes wow he starts from g11 all minor chords yeah i was just like that's it which that's record is this from this was from a record called uh it was on concord and it's I not don't... my ship or no that's MP... is it my ship yeah That's amazing too. It's, it sounded it sounded uh, sounded familiar. Oh no no, it could be from a different one. Could be from a different one. Uh, I thought it was from my ship. My ship's got my ship, and it's got yeah. green sleeves. And it also has some Debussy uh, moments where yeah. he like yeah. goes into one of the preludes. And... Yeah, man, that guy could play. Yeah, uh, but he goes. This is particularly beautiful. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He goes way out of the key. So, play again. Wow. And then it does it again. He goes like. Wow. Something like that. Wow. That, you know, sometimes you, you learn a move like that or a concept like that. And it just goes. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, they're all the same chord. Mm -hmm. All the same quality of chord. Mm -hmm. You have to be quick enough to know that you can put the you know that your melody will. And that was huge for me. But the thing is, you still hear the. That's the magic of it. You still hear the song, and you still yeah. hear the harmonic relationship. Yeah, you're not destroying the song at all. Did you're you not, put them in context already? Have you tried this? Put them What? in context with the original chords and see why it works with all minor chords? Well, for the most part, it's just because you're you're approaching the the chord that you really need to hear by half steps. Mm. You know? You have this amount of time to get to your E. Yeah. And you have this amount of time to get to 
that guy. So to me, that's the only thing that you need to know. And then you just have to voice well, right. you know, and then Hank Jones similarly. Oh yeah. Had some devices that were just so slick. Um, yeah. some of his arrangements, you know, of, of, of things, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Or is that Tatum? That's our Tatum. But then Hank, he copied used, it. Yeah. He copped it, and he kind of did another version of it based on Tatum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's there's so much, hmm. so much. Um, Does it happen to you too if you hear something and it's you're doing something else and then it just hits you and you have to stop everything? Just to, just to to get it. Yes, sometimes I'm in the car and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm very dangerously turning yeah. my because um, I'm not sure if the DJ is going to come on in time before I get to my destination. Yeah. Uh, you know, turn the tape on and if you know, at least I'll have it and I can play it for somebody else and find out what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just like sometimes you just gotta know. Mm. You gotta know. And it's the same with anything. Like Peter, Peter, when Peter Bernstein and I were young, um, and we were living in in New York, and there was no internet, you would go. One could go to the um, Lincoln Center Library and listen to records, or better yet, uh, like we were on a hunt for like obscure standards, you know. In the moment I met Peter, we were both yeah. talking about tunes and stand. Do you know this one? And, and so we would go to the Lincoln Center Library and you could go. It's like, oh, remember that tune by Alec Wilder? Let's find some other Alec Wilder tunes. You know, you couldn't. That was the way we did it back mm. then, uh, young man. And <laughs> um, then you'd have to photocopy it, you know, 10 cents, five cents. And then suddenly we'd be playing a new uh, Alec Wider tune, you know, mm. you know, it's like kind of tell like, oh, yeah, look, it's cool. Um, and discovery, man. And there is something to be said about the fact that. Everything's so everything available. you had to make. Yes. Everything's so available now. Yeah. That. People don't have curators, you know, to <laughs> to tell them what they should be checking out and yeah. what they should not waste their time with. You know, there's too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's good, you know, but for people who are like trying to figure out what are the 50 things I should I should get to know this year or something, you know, to yeah. really like, you know. You could waste a lot of time with some stuff that doesn't have a lot of value or information. Yeah. Um, so that's why, yeah, one of the things I do on on Patreon is I'll make Spotify lists. I haven't done it in a while, but, you know. And if somebody tells me, like, I had never knew this existed, you know, yeah. that's great. I just was telling somebody, uh, an organ student, about a Billy Preston record that people don't know about, which was a huge turnaround for me because this guy, Dave Matthews, not the uh, 
pop singer Dave Matthews, mm. an organ player named David Matthews in uh, San Francisco years ago, gave me a cassette of this Billy Preston record because it was out of print. Now you can go on iTunes or whatever and go to the VJ recordings of Billy Preston and go to the second half of it, which is on one particular record. And it's this gospel record he made when he was 20, where he overdubs on organ and piano. Mm. And it's, I mean, he was only 20 and it was probably, and it's still something that you could take a lifetime to. What's the record called? If you just, I don't know what that original one was called, but if it's, it's on a record, a CD, I mean, a digital thing with two records and it's called the complete VJ, V-E-E-J-A-Y. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like if I hadn't heard that when I did, maybe I'd be dead right now. <laughs> okay. You're laughing and that's. Okay. Yeah, sorry, it's a serious topic. No, I was mugged once, and this guy's like, Do you know the VJ signs? <laughs> Press. Um, the other day, I talked to Blake Mills, and I. Oh, you got you got with Blake Mills. Yeah, I mean, we had we had an interview already in November, but then he released that first song of the upcoming album. Oh yeah. And I was like, we need to talk again. This is. I'm not going to release the interview and we don't talk about it. So he was like, um, and he, he was like, uh, sure, let's talk on Monday. And I was like, it would be great if I could hear the whole record somehow so we can talk in detail. And he was like, here it is. He did? He yeah. gave it to you? And then we talked for two and a half hours going through each song. Now that I have Blake's um, perspective on it. I would really like to have yours as well. How how was the process for you to oh. to work on that music? Oh. oh well, I was you know I was only on a few sessions you know, um, and seems like you're on most of the record. I am. They even took a song of yours. He told me. Okay, well that was I brought in. I literally, I hadn't figured out how to transfer Logic at that point from my desktop to my laptop. So I literally brought my... Um, the iMac. The iMac. I mean, it's just all in one. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember seeing... Uh, who's that guy who loves Zalinol, great piano player um, in LA? I remember seeing him at a gig and he had a fucking iMac. Scott, I was like, oh, Scott Kinsey? Scott Kinsey. Yeah. I was like, shit, if Kinsey can do it, I can do it. Sure. I brought my iMac because everything was on there and on hard drive. And I had these saxophone samples that I had made mostly from Danny, uh, from a friend of mine and some, well, let's just say, let's just say there was some other saxophones in there. Okay. <laughs> and I just took whole notes and I created this saxophone instrument. Yeah. And I was, I was like, well, Hey, uh, and I think, you call me? Yeah, he called me to just come and play some stuff, I guess, on the Pino record. And we were just trying different things. And I had written this, I had this thing and I had it in MIDI as well. And they both, they said, we got to do something with this. Mm. So we're working on it. And at a certain point, Blake, who at that point I had known enough to, even though he's, even though I remember when I came to Malibu High School, to give a master class, you know, and he was a little 
chump in in the in the in the band uh obviously a prodigy and very talented um even though there's this generational thing and whatever i i was already at that point just sort of like this yeah. guy's got something he's not just a guitar player um and i heard some of his productions and i knew how you know how uh successful he had become uh deservingly so and anyway so at one point he goes we're gonna take a break and he goes hey larry um while we're on break do you mind if i just kind of look at your midi a little bit of the, the midi session for this and maybe mess with it a little bit and i'll tell you rarely what i <laughs> what i just go yeah i mean it's like when i do sessions for people mobily and I'm using a sampled instrument, and I say, I got a good take for you. And they go, great, can you send the MIDI too? I'm usually mm -hmm. like, well, what are you going to do with my MIDI? I mm -hmm. think I've got it in a pretty good place, and if I just sent you audio, you wouldn't really have that opportunity to fuck yeah. with my notes. So, But in the case of this, it just seemed like, oh, this is part of Blake's process, and I trust him, you know? So he's like, so we left the room, and for maybe a half an hour, he reshaped the piece to a certain extent wow not only structurally but musically a little bit you know and what he did as far as i can remember is there was a point where my piece became maybe a little bit or some idea was sequential you know a sequential um follow-up to some previous ideas that perhaps he thought was too predictable and too kind of Square. Square, yeah. In terms of how it rolled out. And so he kind of like molded it into something that was better. Mm. Really was. And the other thing with Blake is like you gotta you gotta wait till he starts throwing stuff at the at the canvas, which is as far as my experience with him is one way he goes about making records. And he does it very quickly. He doesn't do it in a way where he's throwing things f for months and then, you know, he can just, he can, he can have me do a full overdub on some weird thing and I'll think, well, he's not going to get anything out of that. And then I'll hear it and I'll go, oh my God, mm -hmm. what did you do? Celeste thing that I, oh, I put, I bought the reverse reverb on it just to, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's using the computer as complete canvas mm. and Together with his partner who engineers a lot of the stuff, who's great and quick and can carry out all the little things that he, I mean, Blake can do it too. But, um, and then Pino is there as the, as the raw inspiration, you know, for how to build something around Pino. Um, and I wasn't there for any of the stuff with Ben Wendell. I was just, I was overdubbing on, on the thing that just came out. Not Ben, ben Wendell. Sam. Ben Sam. Sam Gendel. Yeah. Ben Wendell and Sam Gendel. <laughs> um, so I was there just with Pino and Blake. And. Uh, how was the music? Uh, um, uh, how did they approach you with the music? Uh, there was no sheet music, right? So, no, I, I I had to jot down some things like I that Mellotron thing that yeah 
happens. And actually wasn't my, that those were, those were actually Mellotron saxophones. So it's more my horns on that particular piece. I think those were things I kind of had to learn as, as we went, you know, the voice, you know, and then, um, And the thing is, you don't necessarily walk away from uh, one of the sessions really knowing how things that you played are going to be utilized, you know. Mm. And um, How does that affect your playing? Does it affect it? No. I mean, in that, in that case, I just try to carry out his directions, you know, mm. what, what, what he's thinking, because he's thinking two steps ahead, you know. Can you maybe... Uh, um... Yeah, how, what are your remembrances of his directions? Um, on that specific project? W whatever. Or, I'm just trying to get a sense of wh what his yeah. uh, directions would be like. Let's see if I can think. Um, what other things have we worked on? Um, I mean, the guy is just so into sound, right? So some of it will just be spent trying different instruments, I, I suppose, because he's in that studio. He's got everything. Mm. Um, and um, trying to think about some of the other sessions. Um, There's a beautiful ballad on there where he says it, it came from something like a voice memo idea from you that the guys, oh. yeah. That might have been the saxophone thing because I don't it, it has some saxophone, but it's um, it's out of time. It's a ballad. It's like free flowing. Starts yeah. in C major, ends up in E flat major. Huh. Yeah, I still can't remember how that all ended up. Yeah. And I think that's the title track of the, I think that's the name of the yeah. record. Notes and with attachments. Yeah, notes, notes with attachments, yeah. Um and originally I think uh Pino said that there's some uh, passage in it that reminded me reminded him of a hymn from his childhood or something like that. Something that he knew it reminded when me of weather report. Like a like uh, a Zavinul uh, type you know, hauntingly beautiful ballad. Yeah, like the orphan. Do you know the orphan? Oh yeah, yeah. That would be good analysis. That's some Strauss right mm -hmm. there. But he was Austrian. So there you go. He also liked that composer. What's what's the gold? Um... Goldings. <laughs> I'm sure he would have liked you. I'm talking yeah. about. Um, I'm talking about a guy who also came from Austria to the U.S. to score movies. Oh, um, he did. Um, Peter yeah. Erskine likes him too, uh, and John Nelson likes him. Um, gold, gold. Oh, let me look it up because it's so beautiful. Yeah, he was great. I have great uh, Itzhak Perlman uh, recordings of of violin concerto. Uh, gold. That's, I think I also transcribed something here. Um. Yeah, I wanted to show you this. Where is it? Um, yeah, some intermission music is good. Gold. 
We we have it. We have it almost. Corn gold. Corn gold. That's it. Yeah. Let me show you the one thing. It's a piece. Yeah. Piece ends in G major, and he goes. It's almost like a diminished. Almost, but it's different. Weird. Yeah. Nice. And it's it's doubled with uh, with uh, you know with the uh, vibraphone, so like the you know. Mm. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, film man. Some of the film guys are amazing. I love John Williams. I think John oh, Williams. Man. Yeah. I heard yeah. a piece. I had speaking of harp. You told me. A, you told me. I, I listened to it afterwards. Oh, Yeah. Oh, really? Harp so concerto. I haven't even li listened to it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow, he was yeah. showing it to me at the time. Yeah, that was at. Um, you are in contact with John Williams. And John Williams, I uh, yeah, because I played under him with James Taylor at least twice at Tanglewood when we were doing James Taylor music, basically. And then he was working on the harp concerto his harp concerto and while we were at Tanglewood and I found myself in a room with him and James. Wow. And he was showing me the score and he was telling me, uh, you know, the harp is, you really have to write, you know, you gotta, you have to, you have to know the harp first, you know, because, you know, all the pet, you know, he's just showing me how it was just interesting things to take advantages to take advantage of because of the limitations limitations or the interesting pedal things that yeah. you know you do it was wild and i have beautiful black and white pictures that somebody was taking wow. when we were we were in that little uh rehearsal room he i mean you know he really knew some music wow. and knew emotion you know so that's why he, he gets me every time gets me every time what he does emotionally really if you compare him to I'm not going to name any names. It's just that yeah. the people, when people try to take his place in a, in a thing where it's necessary to, there's so much action and there's so much need for music. And he can say so much. He can tell us so much during a scene where there's no dialogue. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, very specific emotional things, you know, not just some generic fucking shit. Your doorbell? That was uh, also from ET. Really? Yeah, that's the ET code. You're kidding. That's the code. That's the code I mean, that again? I'm playing it soft because of my neighbors. Oh, he plays it up here actually. Is it 12 tones? Not quite. Uh, no, it's 10 notes. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's different than this one. But that's hip as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And how they communicate. How they communicate. Man, the, the... I think 
I got into synthesizers because of watching that dude sure. and that scene. Sure. Of course. Right? Yeah. Communicating with the fucking spaceship. Yeah. It's when incredible. It goes, Oh, yeah. and everything just oh man yeah and the colors and oh it's incredible yeah, yeah. and then a few years later I, I could be seen at uh lowry piano and organ store you know like where my my mother would take me she would drop me off at this this is funny because this is before i knew anything about hammond organ tradition or anything yeah i just loved to sit at organs because they felt like big spaceships sure and there was this, you know, that was where the days where you could go to a huge fucking organ mall. Just a huge fucking uh, room of, of uh, those kinds of organs with three manuals, four manuals. She would drop me off and go shopping, and we'd pretend that I was interested in getting one of these organs. <laughs> and I'd just be sitting there for hours, you know, as a uh, young man, can we help you? No, no, I'm fine. And uh, we eventually had organs. We had, did have a, a couple different organs in our home. Not big. Well, one was huge. My father found it for free, and somebody delivered it. It was a Goldbranson fucking mm. jazz organ. And then before that, we had this little Yamaha organ with the Foxtrot. And, the, you know. and now I have uh, this. Uh, can you see? Probably mm -hmm. not. It's a Lowry Genie. That's mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. Um, but it was the control, you know, it was the orchestral one man band aspect of, of the organ. That's yeah. like, I don't need anybody, you know, uh, and, and the, yeah. And the, and the, and the sense that you were, or you could orchestrate, yeah. you know, and I was really into synthesizers as a kid, as, as a, you know, for the same reason. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, and also the 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 passion for the bass movement movement stuff yeah. is, uh, you know, that's part of the deal. Yeah, and that coincided with loving Dave McKenna as oh, right. one of the first pianists that I knew. Yeah, who played the shit out of the bass lines, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, that's what you do when you play solo. You play bass lines. Yeah. Um, but I think something about that bass function. You know, it was always really attracted to, attractive to me. I remember kind of maybe feeling the bass. We, I went to a, grew up going to a going to a Jewish temple. Went to Hebrew school. In more religious temples, they don't have musical instruments. Like it's a, you know, it's not. But in the Reformed sect, which is sort of the least pious, mm. you know, I guess the least strict, you know, our our. Uh, temple was so reformed it was closed on the Jewish holidays. <laughs> um, no, but uh, that's a Woody Allen joke. I can't talk about Woody Allen anymore, unfortunately. Mm. Okay, so uh, I remember feeling that, and they had an organ. They had an electric organ. I remember kind of feeling it, and 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 he has that that one of those real um, warm sounds that some of those organs would have. I remember liking that. Mm. Um, but anyway how about the bass in general um, when you became more and more uh, an organ player and um, did you also check out specific bassists for their I mean I always tuned into the bass like Paul Chambers I always tuned into 
Ray Brown mm. with our Peterson Trio. Yeah. Israel Crosby mm-hmm. with Ahmad. Jocko. Oh, yeah. For sure. But also as a composer and, you know, all that. Um, but yes, bass players, Charlie Hayden. Um, all of Miles' bass players. Yeah. Um, electric bass players like Jocko, like uh, the legendary. Paul, Paul Jackson? That's, oh, well, Paul Jackson, although I probably didn't know it was Paul Jackson at that time, but yes. Mm. Uh, the bass player with Aretha. You know, with Purdy and all that classic stuff. I'm thinking of uh, Chuck Rainey. Chuck Chuck Rainey. Ridiculous. Mm. Um, Stuff like that. I was very much into. um, I also really liked that that Bill Evans record where he played Rhodes. And he walked bass. Left to Ryan. One of those, yeah, where he walked bass on a couple tunes on the roads. I thought, whoa, that feels good with the piano soloing on one channel mm. and the road comping on the other. I just remember thinking, that sounds full. That yeah. sounds real good. Yeah. But Zalonel too, because, oh, yeah. you, you know, because when Zalonel and Wayne would do their own thing or what Zalonel would do intros where he's sort of his own oh, bass yeah. player, to me, he was an orchestra. Oh, I yeah. always suspected maybe he played organ, you mm. know, because um, he knew how to manipulate samples. I mean, not sample sounds, analog <laughs> sound, like, yeah, like no other know. guy, yeah. And then he used a, a volume pedal. Do you ever see like the? You can find pictures of like what was at his feet mm-hmm. on a live on a live record. It's just mm. tons of pedals. Yeah. That he's just had control over, like, I'm going to bring this in. Oh, yeah. And he can work that out. Not to mention using tape, using his own samples, you know, mm-hmm. and um, triggering tape to give him whatever. Um, Did you uh, ever meet him? Yes. I met him twice, maybe three times. The first time I met him, I was on an escalator. Um, at the um, IAJE, the International yeah. Association of Jazz Educators. I guess I was on Warner Brothers at the time. Yeah, I was definitely on Warner Brothers at the time. And Matt Pearson was there, and he was he was the A and R guy who um, signed me to Warner. And he was with Joe, and we end up on an escalator, and they're talking, and it's totally awkward because I'm like I'm. Yeah, it's Joe Zalinal. And then Matt goes, Oh, Joe, you know Larry Goldings. And uh, and he goes, and this is wild because this talk about how times have changed. There was a jazz label, you know, on uh, there was a jazz department, strong one. And one of the things they would do is uh, you know, like different airlines, an airline might make yeah. a deal with uh, you know, and you'd be on the airline's play jazz playlist for a couple months. He literally said, "Oh yeah, I heard I heard a song of yours on the flight on the flight over on the on the you know." And he goes, "Very melodic." Wow. I was like, "Holy shit!" Wow. But he said it in that tough kind of mm-hmm. very melodic, with, with the wrong accent. I'm using more of a you know Eastern European. Yeah. Um, 
Larry Malone. <laughs> I like Joe Savinovsky. And um, no, I was like, I was just flying the rest of that day. I was just mm -hmm. like, Joe's album. Wow. And then I saw him when he had already been, I think, diagnosed with something. Mm. And he was much just, just weaker as a, as a man, as a person. It was really wild. And he also seemed, yeah, he didn't have that tough exterior. That was at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm. And that was the last time I saw him. I just saw that his son died. Wow. That's Coach oh, Eric. No. Yeah. He was only 59 or something like that. Oh, shit. Um, but, you know, Masters. Oh, look, Chick. Yeah. yeah. I think about Chick. What's your, what, 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 what's, if you could encapsulize, what would be the Chick that really is on your desert, your, Chick Korea Desert Island. Um, the complete is sessions. I'm looking at my Chick pile. I have a pile of Chick records here that are, because I was mm. listening the whole time. Mm. You know, uh, the complete is sessions. Okay, that's with Dave Holland, Benny Maupin, Jack DeJohnette, Woody Shaw, and Hubert Laws, and right. another drummer called um, Horace Alt Arnold. Yeah, and that's some some. Yeah, that's my favorite chick, but also a chick with with Miles and especially that that period, you know. Incredible. But I really like that up until he died, uh, he was very very active still and always putting together new bands and stuff like that. Yeah. And other artists of that caliber, uh, they seem to not to do I that at rest on their laurels. A little yeah, bit. yeah. Well, he was always, yeah. I saw him in Spain. He had that band with Abishai Cohen mm. on bass and Jeff Ballard. And mm -hmm. it was all, it was Monk and the New Tunes. And mm -hmm. that was an amazing concert. Just, yeah. I remember rhythmically, just being blown away by Chick's ideas. Yeah. How he played with the band and just the humor and the playfulness. Mm -hmm. The other thing about Chick that I loved is that he wasn't dripping ever with, with sentimentality when he played ballads and mm -hmm. things like that. You know, it was always playful. Yeah, it was it, it was beautiful, maybe, but it wasn't sentimental. Yeah, you know, like did you ever hear a, a later record he made on Concord of solo piano, and he played Lush Life? No, he did just the most beautiful, the brilliant chick thing to it, mm -hmm. where he found a, an ostinato bass. Yeah, to, to use throughout the entire thing, not mm. not. Not something that didn't move, but it moved throughout the piece. And I don't remember what it is, but I couldn't find it actually on iTunes. Uh, and I remember realizing like, like, yeah, I mean, only Shikaria could approach something that's so lush, mm. you know, like Lush Life with all those harmonic possibilities. And he's, of course, he's using the harmonic, he's playing the tune, but he weaves it with this Shik-like Not like something a chick would do. Um, <laughs> this chick like um, uh, ostinato idea that was just, it was like brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And he's not playing it in this kind of, oh, pull your heartstrings way. He didn't play like that, but he didn't play coldly either. Yeah. You know. You know, so when, he, he, when he died, uh, the first thing that I 
had to listen to is um you know i was like oh shit he chick died uh i couldn't really believe it because it was so agile and so active always um so i was thinking okay now he sings now he's what should i go to first the thing is what i went to first is something that um as i told you before you know there's I grew up listening to to him and also this solo uh, ECM records that he did, you know. Uh, that's what, what my father loved. So, mm. And there's videos of me as a, a little boy playing along with uh, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs with drumsticks and stuff like that. But as I told you, when I was a teenager, I had to find my own stuff. So I was trying to learn Autumn Leaves and mm. illegally downloading MP3s from the site. <laughs> of all the versions of uh, Autumn Leaves that I could get. And mm-hmm. uh, one of them was Chick playing with Bobby McFerrin in duo. Mm. Have you heard this recording? I'm not sure if I have. It's, it's pretty sure. funny, actually. It's very funny. Bobby McFerrin is, is, is almost like a stand-up comedian in, in, that, in that song. So he's making all, all fun the, the, whole, the whole time. But what Chick plays, and I can still tap into that feeling, is like, how on earth could you think of stuff like that to play behind a melody like that? You know, it's like always like almost like like magic. Like, who would think of stuff like that? His mind was very free. Yeah. Very free, very supple, and so quick. Yeah, quick. Uh, I got into Chick through well. <laughs> I had that. You know, that was in the real book. Mm. It was one of the. Things I looked at the real book, just like, oh, I think I can read this. <laughs> and then found the record. And I love the Gary Burton duo stuff. Yeah. I thought just brilliant. Um, technically, it just seems so impossible and musically so beautiful. And mm-hmm. the two were just like, did they grow up together? What's going on here? You know, it's just like, uh, but also, but I didn't know the history of Chick, you know, coming up. So I knew like Friends. With yep. Steve Gadd, with yep. the Smurf on the cover. Yes, and uh, I knew like some of those, like the Leprechaun or My Spanish Heart, you know, the fusion e things. Yeah. Um, and then like Mike, the one with Michael Brecker, Three Quartets. Oh, yeah, I liked that. Didn't really understand it, but I liked it. Pretty out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the duo with duos with Herbie, I remember. Oh yeah know anything about his playing with chick didn't know i mean with miles didn't know about anything like him as a sideman only later did i hear him with uh stan Getz. oh yeah and i didn't know how he sing uh now he sings now he sobs i still don't really know that record back and backwards and forwards i know matrix yeah i don't ever transcribed anything from that record um kind of for whatever reason in terms of the things that i really spent time with I was more Keith and Herbie yeah and even McCoy more than Chick mm. but I have to say Keith as a, I mean um Chick as a composer I have to say I always thought was heavy and completely um recognizable yeah you know? and the way the Spanish flavor and his understanding of diminished somehow just mm-hmm. like in his writing and stuff um uh, and I just always saw him as a complete musician, you know, yeah. then he's playing classical music, you know, 
And when I started traveling and maybe running into him or knowing or seeing him, at least in the same room, he just seemed so approachable. Yeah. No, he seemed different from other, Mm -hmm. not that, I mean, I think jazz musicians generally are approachable, but for someone that heavy, I mean, it's just like, it seemed like, and he was, you know, by the, you know, by the last time I saw him, I think he knew who I was and, uh, sat down with me for five minutes, you know, and I was, you know, he was just super cool. Yeah. Humble. And like he said in that quote, that's being reprinted, you know, you know, more than anything, music is fun. You know, that's the reason why you should get into it. You know, if you, if you have the passion, you know, it's fun on top of everything else. And really he had loads of fun. You could tell. Um, but we didn't get into what what is your favorite record of his? Um, Doesn't have to be one of his. It could also be something else. Right. Um, I do love him with Miles. He's on some of the tracks on Fee de Kilimanjaro, isn't he? I love him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him, uh, anything with Miles. Uh, I, I I do love him with Roy Haynes. The later stuff he did with Roy Haynes, I think is great. The monk stuff. Yeah. Um, but power is probably, yeah, there's probably stuff like, I don't know if I know the stuff you're talking about very well. The yes sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send it to you. And I, I remember listening to Light as a Feather a lot. Yeah. You know, loved his Rhodes playing. Was it Rhodes or Wurlitzer? It was Rhodes. Rhodes, I think. Um, I remember he took this amazing synth solo on a Jeff Lorber record. That mm-hmm. I really loved. Soft Space. Um, yeah, loads of stuff. That one that I was talking about where he plays Lush Life, it's yeah. definitely worth hearing. Um, but as you can tell, like I could name many more Keith records that I know really well for some reason than Chick. But, um, maybe because at the time I thought, well, Chick is a little colder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe whatever. Um, but McCoy's not all that. You know, McCoy has a some of that too, sort of. You know, the the this. Um, but I don't know. There's something about the way Chick articulates, even at fast tempos, just always mm-hmm. killed me. You yeah. know, the notes are. You know, the sound is not diminished. You know. Yeah, it's That's true. What he has to play, his articulation is strong. The piano sound is big. The notes seem, even at fast tempos, seem a little bit longer. Then mm-hmm. maybe a McCoy played mm-hmm. fast. Not that he had a bad sound, McCoy. It's insane, but uh, it's just amazing. Um, In those five min- minutes with uh, Chick, did you talk to him about any of that? No, it was probably just about, he was literally coming off his tour bus right. as me and Peter and, and Bill were leaving the hotel. They were checking in. Mm. And this was a band he had lionel luiki luiki 
Um, Steve Gadd? And Steve, I guess, must have been there. Mm. Yeah. And they were tired, but I said, hey, chick, you know, and he greeted me really warmly. And there was like a little bench right there. And, he, you know, he just sat down, you know, we mm. just, he just started, you know, where are you coming from? Just kind of small talk. But then it was like, he was just, you know, telling me about the, it just seemed like so many things were going on, you yeah. know, just like he had this tour, tell me about a piano concert he did with so-and-so and it's like the guy was just a force yeah and never i mean not an an, an ounce of of any kind of like he needed to prove something <laughs> to, to anybody he didn't he he was perfectly comfortable with himself mm -hmm. and, um happy to share whatever it was like he the whole pandemic he was teaching online yeah did you he was did one you of the did you see the the um, when he would just practice at home for? Yeah, it was great. I mean, that was what I was hoping for. I mean, dreaming about with with I mean with you also. You know, it's so great that we get to be a fly on the wall now with all the greats in a way, and everybody's yeah. ready to share. And I I remember sitting in my little room at my parents' house as a teenager. I was like, how would it look if Chick is practicing something at home or you know and now yeah. we just get to see it yeah pretty cool it was great he was a very giving artist and person um how is it for yeah. you now to to share with people and to uh to engage you seem to enjoy it a lot yes i mean for me it's just a way of <laughs> connecting with people at a time when we can't connect, yeah. you know, and even though I still get dark about it, um, after doing it pretty regularly since this lockdown started, it is very, uh, apparent that people appreciate it, you know, mm. and I, I'd like that. I like that people from all over the world are saying, and you know, we're, stuck here at least especially i remember during when when in italy it was so mm. horrible yeah i remember doing some there and getting some messages from people saying you know you don't know how this great this is that we can watch this you know we can't can't go anywhere and um yeah but i'm what i'm what i'm uh yeah. curious about is your um You're very honest about everything that's happening while you're doing it. And even if you mess up something or uh, if you, I don't know, um, you acknowledge something when you, I've seen you talk about moments where you're like, oh, I've hit a wall here. Uh, this is not how the song is going. You're very honest. You're very... Um... Uh, just because I, yeah. And there is maybe something about the fact that There isn't a physical audience, um, and you're not getting any feedback <laughs> um, that makes you forget that they're there, mm -hmm. you know. And when I do that on, on Twitch, um, that seems to be a platform for like that that's meant for that. Mm. It's it seems to be people who are into just like let's just see what what he's doing, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's educational, like you said, watching Chick 
to practice, you know, like, oh, what's he struggling with? Yeah. You know, uh, it's fascinating. And also, uh, perhaps uh, it almost feels like some of that not not caring, you know, healthy not caring might transfer over to when we're back playing live mm -hmm. you know, from this experience mixed with the feeling that we're just so <laughs> joyful to be able to do it again. Yeah. You know, and also I think we've all been thinking about what does this all mean? Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> we chose this life and now this life is not possible. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Not to the extent uh, to where we could make a living from it. Mm -hmm. Not. I mean, this this is not working. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really glad I have this. Yeah, and I'm making something from Patreon, and people are asking me to do some overdubs, and but this is not sustainable. So, you know, I was on the road half the year, you know, sometimes more. That is still, and I'm not going to say unfortunately because man, the things that you don't have when you don't have them anymore, you really appreciate them i mean my god i mean yeah. how much complaining do we do about the road you know about sleeplessness about you know ridiculous stupid geographic plans it used to to take up all my facebook feed from u.s musicians actually complaining <laughs> complaining about the road and then it was like all trump and now it's all covid <laughs> and dying musicians oh god Yeah. And you know what? Uh, like Jim Hall used to say on the road. Are we frozen? No. Okay. You froze for a second. Like Jim Hall used to say, like on like the worst travel day, like, you know, he goes, you know, guys, we are privileged. You have to remember, this is still a privilege to do this. Look where yeah. we are, you know, and we might be some incredible place. And if Jim Hall, after all the years he had done, traveling can yeah. say that can have that attitude then you better fucking shut up little punk yep. piano player. Yeah. you know unless it's not for you you know and i went through a lot of of years thinking this isn't for me anymore i just can't be in the in a bus anymore i yeah. can't live like this you know and look that's that's a that's a that's a, a reality it is it can be very unhealthy <laughs> but also is it is there another side for you as well uh because i i started noticing like uh at first i was like uh okay if if somebody's taking away the thing that you identify so much as who are you you know mm -hmm. and i think we all went through this through this and then you discover maybe other things that you like to do and other things that you appreciate and and took well, for granted before there's other things within music that mm. through these live streams and through me just being forced to just well i'm gonna fuck around do the things that i transferring the things that i normally just do when nobody's watching for instance a perfect example playing along with the beatles yeah okay like playing along with a record something i used to do as a kid yeah that was i think a lot of musicians did that right yeah totally yeah but now i can get the stems 
of Beatles songs. I can so I put I don't know if you saw that, but I I put up just McCartney's bass line on something, on the song something, and Ringo, and I was just like, well, what if this was a piano feature, yeah. you know? And I and I'm playing with the with the rear room. These are just things that I would would have done as a kid if I if I had the means to do that, just because it's fun and it's kind of kooky. I'm doing these kinds of things now in front of people, thinking, still thinking this is kooky. Yeah. But I'm realizing that that maybe I've taken for granted some of the aspects of my talent mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't show, that I don't normally show people, mm. you know, um, that I love to play guitar sounds. Yeah. I just downloaded yesterday. I just bought a $79 really good sounding lap steel mm. where you can tell, you can tell the instrument to only bend the bottom note or the middle note or the top mm. note of the chord. Wow. Fuck cool as shit. Mm. And I'm like, and I've always loved guitar. I've always loved I've written songs on a guitar sample because I'm, it just gets me to hear different things. You write differently because if you want the sample to sound realistic, you have to play more or less within the limitations yeah. of the guitar. Similarly, it is true, and I'm sure you've experienced this, that you'll sit down on an instrument, a piano, but it's not your piano. It's some upright piano. Or like, you know, I'm thinking of a specific thing with me. My friend Jay Bellarose had this really shitty spin it and we were hanging out late at night and i wrote this tune this one piano and i definitely wouldn't have had that song is it for that on in my room or no it's on um salad day i mean it's on it's called salad days and it's from when larry met harry oh yeah i have that one i have that one yeah yeah beautiful i could have re-recorded it on in my room i don't remember but you know you sit down at a particular instrument and sometimes it just tells you what to do, Yeah. you know, or, or you just innately find what's strong, the sweet spots. And that brings you to a direction that I know wouldn't have come out of a different instrument. I love that. That's what I love about sample sounds. Yeah. Same reason why I'm hunting for inspiring samples because you will get into a composition a different way, you know, that way. Especially when you're trying to play in the, in the within the limitations and strengths of the of the sound, mm. you know. So that's the main reason why I love because uh, I get bored 
I get bored with my instrument. Also, I don't have a particularly inspiring. I do like that piano, but it's an upright piano, and there's only so so much I can really pull off on it. Yeah. And um, so sometimes um, I'll get something out of a, another piano sample, or a, you know. Um, but uh, I will remember when I look close, more closely at my iTunes library or whatever, um, some things that I wrote, you know, with a guitar sample. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Hmm. But, uh, anyway, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Hey. I, I, and I'm feeling grateful that you approached me to do this again. Oh, well, you're, you're the perfect person for anything having to do with, the type of material we're we're talking about and i'm you know i'm we've gone a, a while I'm, I'm i don't feel like i've i've figured out well what i didn't know or i didn't put together was all the music not only classical but you know because of how you grew up i mean that is just so unique mm. that is so and uh, I was wondering, just from you, did did you early on take very strict piano lessons from either your parents or somebody else in terms of technique and sound and stuff like that? Um, my father arranged for a piano lesson uh, with a colleague of his when he noticed that I would go to the piano and you know just fumble around a little bit because mm -hmm. I was playing drums before that. And mm -hmm. when I was ten, I then switched to piano because of this first lesson. And it was uh, very much uh, from learning from the ear. Although my teacher was giving me classical pieces, he, he would notice that I would kind of try to see how he was playing them and then trying to go from ear to to just play what he played. So I, I hmm. know a lot of first pages of classical pieces, <laughs> you know, from playing myself. But That's then the we, we went to, into, uh, you know, uh, improvised material and the real book and he was showing me voicing and stuff like that. Uh, and the real um, revelations for me in terms of sound and technique mm -hmm. actually came when I, uh, when I began studying with uh, uh, Hubert Nuss, who is a great piano player from Germany, mm. who was my most important teacher, still a, a great friend and incredible piano player. And he kind of instilled in me uh, um approaching the piano and playing with a sense of relaxation with with everything that you play is coming out of a relaxation using natural body weight arm weight yeah. and no movement with the fingers as as the the optimum the um, the goal not to use yeah. your fingers and just right. play as if the note is coming from here um, this is the, what blew my mind and uh, what what really helped me because I had tendonitis. Say again? I'm sorry. I wish I could go back in time and study that way, you know, with somebody. Mm. You but know. you look you look the same. I mean I think you you look like you're not moving at all and uh and you have a huge sound, so I don't know what you what you mean. I'm pretty tense actually. In I'm I can I can get very tense and also um the faster the passage or the faster that's tempo. Um, I, I, I can't relax. And uh, I don't really feel like I have, like I was saying about chick, mm -hmm. 
articulation and his sound is always strong no matter what tempo mm. I feel like for me that's a thing that is not definitely not true I mean that 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 shows some uh, that I that it kind of it kind of shows to me that I don't I don't have that part of it together so much but is it the same uh, same thing when you experience it in the moment Or is it different than when you listen back and realize, or oh, maybe it's not as as bad no, as I thought? I can, I can sound more relaxed than I felt when I played it, but what it what it translates to is sort of uh, like like inefficient playing sometimes. Like I will I will have I will be tired. I will be um, something might hurt, mm. you know, after something and i don't you know i haven't been doing a lot of gigs lately that <laughs> that require a lot of technique you know mm. um but um it's funny i look at old recordings of myself like videos things that i can where i can watch myself and i seem like i had better command then <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm doing tactical things, looking pretty good, and I'm like, I don't think I could play that as 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 well now. Um, I have the same thing. I have the you? same thing, but I notice other things in my playing. Sure. That I wasn't able to. I mean, of course, understanding of the music is is growing, and and uh, yeah, is, yeah, uh, but but still, some things that I have been playing that i played 15 years ago I, when i now listen to them like i i don't know how to play this <laughs> yeah but i i think that maybe that it's a natural thing like looking at old photos of yourself you you're like mm. i could not wear these jeans now you know or i couldn't have been that ugly yeah, i mean right. look at me now <laughs> um no that that's true um But no, I was watching this masterclass with Chris John Zimmerman the other yeah. day. I was talking, telling you about that. Yeah. And he was talking about that too. He was just like, even with someone who obviously he's not like just like a finger player, the person can play. He's like, just, just remember, but he's seeing that there are times that this person, like at one point he said, you're not getting to the bottom. I can't, I'm not hearing that the note, this is yeah. a sample that the note is is hitting the bottom yeah you know so he had this one kid do this get on the floor did your teacher ever have to do this and he was like he was like doing that something like that from the ground wow because he felt like if you're from down there you're definitely going to be hitting the bottom of the key you know something like that um so now, the, you know, all my gigs, I, I don't ask for a bank. Uh, <laughs> um, Perfect. Um, yeah, my, my teacher once put weights on my arms. Oh, that can't be good. Now, just to just to um, to to create the illusion or to create the awareness for how heavy your arm could feel, because. Mm. In a way, you're always you're always you're always holding it up somehow because we learned how to uh, manipulate our limbs to just do whatever. Yeah. 
but if you yeah. if you carry a baby that's awake it's and uh, or yeah if it's awake it's lighter but if it's asleep everything is the baby is super heavy you know and it's the same thing with your arms if you carry them the whole time they're super light but if you yeah. actually sometimes fall asleep on your arm and your arm is asleep you realize yeah. how heavy it is and with that yeah. kind of relaxation playing with that relaxation um everything becomes more easy somehow yeah. who's that teacher who barry harris studied with and a lot and a lot of um sophia rosoff yeah there's a video did you see you should see barry's did you see the movie about barry it's very oh, good i love it yeah is that great with the yes. kids yes it's touching yeah. yeah i remember that scene with sophia rosoff when she's sort of they're doing like yeah they're doing yeah. some um and she's just going yeah. you know um, Kenny Werner. I mean, the one le private lesson I took with Kenny was just about trying to get, just trying to just play five notes correctly, you know, hmm. with full full relaxation. Wow. Pretty hard to do once if you're not if you haven't been doing it. Mm. Um, also, Claudio Rao. Oh yeah. Editing the rotation. So I saw some exercise where he's like. Mm. Because it right because that's just that's weight right there yeah right? totally just throwing your weight. But how do you get the little micro moves mm. and play well? I guess that's I mean with that rotation technique, you know. Mm. How, do, how do you rotate within, you know, a that's third, true. and 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 actually use the weight? I, I mean, it's the kind of things like playing accordion. I'll I'll never figure it out because I didn't start when I was four. I just, I just feel like I'm not going to get it. You'll be oh. fine, Larry. You'll be fine. Oh, it's never going to happen for me. <laughs> but, you know, there's just certain people, man. You hear them play a chord and you're like, yeah, I can't get that sound, you know. But also, I will admit that when asked what kind of, you know, you have your choice of piano, you know, I will actually say that I don't want a concert grant necessarily. Yeah. No, because I'm not sure how difficult that piano is going to be for me to play. Mm. I'm afraid to say that. It's Still okay. a man. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, those are long strings, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and I sound, I sound, you know, sometimes I'll sound I'll sound better on a smaller piano. That's just the way it goes. Because mm. I just feel like I can get what seems to be a, you know, relative to that piano, a big sound. But I've, you know, I've been in situations with, with really big pianos where I just go, well, I'm just going to totally change the way I play tonight because I can't, you know, I can't get around it mm. particularly fast passages or at least if i do they, they're barely audible <laughs> they're just mm. i'm not getting the sound uh from playing fat when i'm playing fast i'll play slower i'll play more chordal and instruments always have an effect on how maybe it's not conscious but how i might change up my playing totally yeah does that happen with you yes totally but I feel like that's for me that's that's a good thing 
a good thing. Yeah. Otherwise, you're struggling. Yeah. You know, if you have the instinct to know, like, what to maybe avoid on this instrument, uh, you know, as uh, so as to sound and be as supportive as possible if you're playing with others. Yeah. Um, I do that. I definitely do that. Um, and of course, we have as, as keyboard players, we have a certain amount of practice of having to do that. With yeah, because there's something different every night. Different or just bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, substandard instruments. Yeah. You know. Different shades um, of bad Different shades of bad. As Carla Blay used to say about the road, she said, um, expect anything, accept anything. No, shit. It's expect the worst, right? Oh, yeah. You know the expression. All right. Let's do it again as if I'm the one who's telling the story, okay? Sure. Yeah, 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 sure. Sure thing. You know, as Carla Blay said. What did she say, Larry? Great story. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Carla used to say, expect the worst, accept the worst, demand the worst. Mm. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. I might have to get some lunch. Man, uh, totally cool. I mean, I, thank you for doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you for um, wanting to do it with me and... Thank you.